Back to 1984. That's Glenn Fry. You'll belong to the city of the Dave Joskow podcast. Welcome to you. Welcome to you. <laughs> good morning, good evening, everybody. The Dave Joskow Show. The blustery January day, January week, the week just before the official uh, championship Sunday comes. Things have gotten very chilly. Expecting a big snowstorm this weekend. Love it. Love it. So, you know, when you don't drive, then you love it. Everybody else is probably being like, ah, crap. And certainly when I do have to drive somewhere, I'm like, ah, crap. But I got no plans except watch for football. It's a perfect time for a snowstorm for your old pal Dave Jessica. And this one going all the way back to 1983. You might remember a little show called Miami Vice. Made this song very popular and the late Glenn Fry. Very popular as uh, not just the musician of the Eagles, but... A solo artist with this song and uh, a regular guest on Miami Vice. Who knew? Don Henley was always the uh, the best solo artist to come out of. Uh, well, Joe Walsh is pretty good, but Don Henley, hit wise and '80s wise, was certainly the best. And he had multiple hits and multiple albums that are quite good. And Glenn Fry's weren't very good, except for this song and maybe two others from the Beverly Hills Cop soundtrack. I couldn't stand Smuggler's Blues. That didn't work for me. Anytime time you use the word blues in a song, I don't like it. I think that's a cop-out for some reason. But this song is good only in the sense that it sounds nothing like an Eagle song, where the rest of his songs all sound like Eagle songs. But still a classic. The late Glenn Fry. Musicians are dropping like flies. And it's not just musicians... Everybody's dying. I don't know what happened. As soon as the clock turned to 2016, yipes. I mean, last week we had our David Bowie tribute, and that was a tribute because I really like David Bowie, and I think he deserved a tribute. Now, Glenn Frey, I'm going to give a little tribute to because I like the Eagles. I later ended up liking the Eagles. I just saw them in concert last October, and I couldn't wait to go because I had seen their documentary, The History of the Eagles, which... Now, more than ever, a must-see. It's like three or four hours long, but if you have the time and the patience, it is one of the most entertaining documentaries I've ever 
scene. I wanted more. I was angry when it stopped, and then I found out there was a part two, and I couldn't have been happier. And like I said, maybe not a huge Eagles fan, but after that documentary became a huge Eagles fan because, oh, for Christ's sakes, I had, you know, it's like uh, uh, we all know all their songs, and you even know it's the Eagles, but then you're like, wait a minute, oh, I forgot about that one, or I forgot about that one. And it's so weird, too, for people, uh, you know, older that, uh, you know, they broke up in 1980, maybe 1979. And yet, it you know, it seemed like they've never broken up. And they even talk about it in the documentary. Glenn Fry is like, it just acted, you know, with classic radio that came out and stuff. It seemed like we never broke up. We were never gone. So we're going to talk a little about Glenn Fry today. We're going to talk about uh, Alan Rickman, one of my favorite character actors, dead. Everybody's favorite. The guy was awesome. And, uh, you know, still no time for Pat Harrington Jr. What are we going to do? Going to attribute to Schneider from one day at a time. I'm not sure if he, you know, is really deserving of our, you know, Bowie-like treatment. Uh, <laughs> so what's what's up with your podcast? Well, we've had uh, multiple tributes this week, you know, because people are dying. Oh, for David Bowie, yes, yes, and who else? Pat Harrington Jr. You know, Schneider from one day at a time. Funny thing is, when I was, uh, you know, really into comedy, when I was, you know, really in it to win it stand-up comedy and doing it you know I was, I was actually could call myself a stand-up comedian because that's how it was getting paid um, I used to have a Halloween list that I used to read on stage that's how cocky I was and my Halloween list you know started with bingo from the banana splits and multiple times I went as Mannix you know Mike Connors from Mannix and one year I went as Schneider from one day at a time just got a tool belt and, uh, and a t-shirt walked around the neighborhood yeah how you doing Mr. Romano Called everybody Miss Morano. People loved it. I loved it. And then I said I would go as Bill Cosby, but only because I could do the imitation. Can't believe I didn't throw Michael Caine in there. I gotta find that list. It's a quite I went as James Spader in nineteen eighty seven, right? And not because I do the imitation. I actually went as James Spader. I know there's photos. It was a party in Staten Island. I just wore the jacket and the glasses. And I just went as James Spader, did the imitation the entire evening. It was it was wonderful. They're like, who are you supposed to be? Who are you? What, what, what kind of question is that? What kind of question is that? I'm just trying to have a good time. Would I have to be interrogated everywhere I go this evening? Is that what this is? Certainly didn't get laid that evening with that attitude. Uh, you know, when you go with James Spader, if you're going to have the attitude, you got to kind of look like him. You know, you need the feathery hair. You know, for uh, not a very attractive Jewish guy uh, trying to act James Spader dickiness uh, you know unless they knew I was doing James Spader it could have been, you know unless my friend Mike Royce would come over and be like oh he's doing James Spader then they'd be like oh then they just pulled down my pants and they just were like yeah yeah that's exactly what happened it's exactly what happened it's unbelievable it's unbelievable but uh, so we got a lot to talk about today I mean last week we did a two hour podcast and who cares right I can go as long as I want there's nobody coming in for the next uh, podcast like there was at Stand Up New York. I still love that place, but, you know, no constrictions, no restrictions, no nothing. I'm my own boss here. I'm by myself. Tonight I asked Memo to come in. He's not a huge Eagles fan, but I just uh, enjoy talking to him about music. We had a good time with the, you know, the Grammy stuff, and I like those lists and everything. And I like bouncing off other people, but you know me. I like doing it myself, too. You know, I had a talk with... Um, you know, a friend of the show, uh, 
Andrea Simmons, who's a publicist for podcasts and multiple other talents that she has. She gave me a call the other day because PodFest is coming back in May. And uh, I was like, oh, my God, I'd love to be part of podcast. That'd be perfect. You know, and I was just like, oh, great, great. I can't believe she called. And then she's like, yeah, I mean, if you could, you know, do your podcast, you know, at, uh, you know, the Bell House in Brooklyn, that'd be unbelievable. I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah, that would be unbelievable. Yeah, and if you could, you know, get Sarah to be your guest, we would definitely have you. And I'm like, ah, right, here we go. It's always the same thing. Can you get Sarah Silverman to be your guest? Oh, yeah, sure. I'll just call her up. I mean, I know I can. I'm just saying. Uh, you know, are you free exactly to travel 3,000 miles on May 25th? They're doing it in May. It used to be in January. I don't know what happened. But I don't care. Maybe there's something I can do so I can just, uh, we can have some fun. We can do a live show. I mean, we're still doing the March 1st live show. That's something, the Godfather thing. March 1st, Village Underground. I'm telling you, it's set. Will I cancel again? Maybe. Stay tuned. I don't plan on it because right now, as of yesterday, I did Artie Lang's podcast. He said he was in to play Brando. That's what he said. He said he was in. What do you want me to do about it? He said, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Let's do it. I'm like, Artie, you don't have to do this. He's like, no, I, I want to. It'll be fun. So, he said so. We'll see. So, uh, since I left you last, I did the Bowie podcast on Wednesday. Then Thursday, I went out with a couple of uh, slurgs, which uh, sounds, like I said, dirty before, but it's only girls backwards. And um, I went out with some friends from the Jersey Shore again. Not the same girls I went out with two weeks ago. Some friends of mine. And uh, I'm, I'm crazy. And I know this. And, you know, I don't know what to do about it sometimes. I always think I've risen above it, but I haven't. I was supposed to go out with my friend Liz... And we've never hung out before. She's married. Very pretty. Very nice. But she's married to an, a guy I like a lot. There's nothing going on or anything. And we're supposed to meet. But we've never hung out on our own before. There's always been a third party with us. Whether it's her husband or another girl that I know or whatever the case may be. So I was kind of looking forward to hanging out. We had a plan. I knew a bartender at uh, the strip house. We're just going to sit, you know, and maybe get... You know, strip house very expensive, so I was hoping you know I got another person there, otherwise I ain't going there. And uh, you know, I had it all planned out. And then at the last minute, she goes, "Hey, I invited my other friend uh, who you love." And I'm like, uh, "That's not cool." I don't know. I just started being like, "What?" I thought we were hanging out one on one tonight. And then of course it sounds creepy because you know she's married. And what does it look like I want? But what do I want? Why? Why would I say something like that? Why would I do that? This says Dave Juskow bullshit that I just can't I'm like no I thought because I had in my head one way we were going to do it somebody changed the plans last minute I can't handle it I can't handle it I don't know why I've got no reason she's like what's the matter with you you love her I met this girl before she's very nice I'm very attracted to her cannot deny it she's like what I, I don't see her very often she's like my best friend and I'm like what's the big more of the merrier I'm like and normally I would be like yeah well of course but I, I don't know I don't know what happened so it was like, well, can I cancel? And um, she's like, really? You know, whatever. It's all texting back and forth. I tried to call her a couple times. She doesn't pick up the phone because then I can have a conversation. I'm like, look, here's my story. Because she's like, you're a weirdo. I'm like, I know. 
So they told me where they were going, and it was on my way home. So I went by there. You know, I don't hear from them again, and I, and I peek in the window, like a like a like a retard. I mean, I don't, I don't know what other word to use, because this is just stupid. And I peek in the window, and I, I see them there. Oh, they're in there, and there's another guy in there, and I'm like, oh, see, here we go. Oh, they brought another guy. And what is this? So I walk out. I'm like, well, forget it then. But then I walk in. And then the manager goes, oh, sir, where are you going? I'm like, oh, I'm just going to go to the bar and get some friends there. He goes, well, here you go. And he opens the door. And then I just stand there like a fucking like idiot. I just stand there. And I'm like, deciding. And he's like, sir. And I'm like, uh, I'm going to walk out. So that guy's, you know, fortunately they didn't see me. And I'm like, you know, forget this. I'm going home. I'm going home. It'll be great. I don't have to spend any money. My sister will be pleased. I'm not spending any money because it'll be expensive here for some reason. I just get a feeling. So I don't have to spend any money. I'm just looking at it like that way. And then I go, I don't know, half a block. And I'm like, oh, if I do this now, me and this girl, we're going to have problems for the rest of our lives. It's going to be difficult. I got to go back in there. I got to take my punishment for being a complete lunatic and just suck it up. So I go back in, and they see me, and she's like, yeah, I told everybody. The guy who's there, nothing but nice, and then he leaves. It's just me and the girls. And they know, and I told them, I was like, no, you got it all backwards. It's The texting is where the issue is, you know, because it's all a joke. I'm kidding. And that's the one good thing about me. You know, I can get away with it because they think I'm joking. So you have, uh, you know, a brief moment to turn things around because people think you're joking. You know, which again works for you sometimes and against you sometimes. Uh, so I'm just like, no, I'm totally chill. What are you kidding? Why would I? Who cares, right? The more the merrier, I say. Am I right? I mean, what is the matter with me? She's like, yeah, I couldn't figure out. You, you don't want to be with two blondes? And I'm like, no, no, I, I do in more than you could possibly imagine. <laughs> so we had a lovely time. We're having a good time. We're drinking. I have a couple of martinis. And then we had food. Food there was good. It was seafood. Of course, uh, you know, and the bill comes. It's like $100 a piece. I'm like, God damn it. I knew it. My sister's going to kill me. And normally I would pick it up at $100 a piece. $100 a piece? It was $300 we sit in the bar. So then they're like, oh, we're going back to the hotel. And, um, you know, why don't you come back to the hotel with us? And I'm like, that's what I'm talking about. I mean, I know nothing's going to, you know what I'm saying. And the other girl's just broken up with her boyfriend. Hmm. So I go back to the hotel with them. It's just, you know, it's a little, it's not that far. And um, the one girl goes to bed and me, I take this other girl out. I'm like, oh, I know another bar that's not this crummy snobatorium that we're sitting in this hotel lobby. And we go to this other bar. It's more like a, you know, a dive bar, which was perfect. And we found two seats at the bar. And we start making out. Which I'm pretty sure was making everybody uncomfortable in the bar. That's what I would think in my mind because I'm a lunatic. And this girl's hot. But um, everybody else was doing it too. So it was the perfect bar for this. And then she's like, oh, you know, I mean, she's obviously hammered. Because then she goes, oh, you look like Paul Giamatti. And I'm like, why would somebody say, first of all, damn, that's the ugliest man on the planet. He's disgusting. I don't want to look like him. I know when people say I look like Nicolas Cage, I can deal with that. You know, my, my hairline, whatever, whatever it is. Paul Giamatti. And the weird part is people started saying it after he played John Adams. How could they possibly know that I want to, you know, I mean, the people that know that I want to play John Adams, then they think I look like Paul Giamatti. I get it because everybody knows I want to be John Adams and I have a John Adams thing and I've been trying to do John Adams for 30 fucking years, a dream that no one else has and I can't achieve. It. 
So she's like, you look like Paul Giamatti. And then she goes, but that's okay. No, no, it's okay. I'm like, that's a horrible thing to say. She goes, no, it's okay because he's Italian. And then I understood she was trying to say, you look really Jewy. But it's okay, he's Italian. <laughs> Clearly she was just like, why am I making out with this Jew? That's the way I took it. Pretty sure that was the intention. I took it to mean we hate the Jews. Yeah, that's right. But, uh, you know, we had a pretty good time. She told me I was uh, not kissing properly. So uh, I changed it. I listened to what she said, and then and then I got better, I guess. I don't know. You know, being a good kisser is difficult because everybody kisses differently. So some girls might like it a certain way, and some girls don't, and you just got to, I don't know, I just do whatever they tell me to do, right? Isn't that what we need to do as, as dudes? Whatever you want. Whatever you want. I want this to happen. I really heard that recently. Everybody always, uh, you know, it's like all I had going for me. And then, uh, I don't know, I must have done, I must have changed something up recently or something. I must be doing something wrong. Or, or maybe kissing has changed since the 40s. I'm talking about the 1940s. Anyway, that's what happened that night. And I've uh, never heard from her again. It was pretty clear. Uh, I was like, well, maybe we can hang out again. Oh, no, no, <laughs> no, no. Well, you boys sure owe me a lot of money for that beer. <laughs> well, we thought it was on the house because we were the musicians. Oh, no, no, no. It's from the Blues Brothers. I know most of you know, but those of you who didn't, I <laughs> just feel like, Why is he, what's he doing? What's he talking about now? So then Friday, I hung out with our friend Jessica Pilot, right? Jessica Pilot, whose mother listens to this show. I hung out with her. We went... She goes, just come on, meet me for a drink. And, you know, she's been on this show before. She's a little annoying. A delightful girl, but a little annoying. That's all right. Good kid. So she's like, well, you know, if we go to the cutting room, we can go. We can eat for free because, uh, you know, the owner there, he loves me and everybody loves me there. So we go there, and I'm like, well, that sounds like a good plan. I like the cutting room, and if we could just eat there for free, I, that, that sounds good to me because I spent $100 last night. And I don't want to be rude. I didn't say that to her. I don't want to be rude like, hey, I spent $100 last night, not on you. So, I don't, you know, that's rude. But, you know, if I could just eat. Because she wants to order food. I try never to order food at restaurants, because, at uh, bars, because then, the, you know, the price adds up. And, um, you know, my mom and my sister tell me I got to stop spending money. <laughs> How old are you? So, um we go there, and um, I'm not sure if anybody likes her there. I told her that the waitress didn't like her, but she didn't believe me. She goes, take it back. That's not true. But the waitress told me she hated her because apparently we walked in, and she just goes, uh, yeah, um, yeah, I need a glass of Chardonnay, and just tell Steve I'm here, and apparently that just pissed the waitress off to no end. So the waitress took our drink orders, and then she never came back until Jessica went to the bathroom and then she came back and I'm like oh I think we wanted to order more food she, she was waiting for you she goes well I wasn't coming back if she was going to be on her phone all the time because that's the problem with Jessica Pilot she's always on the phone always on the phone never in the moment you can't have a conversation with her because then she'll look at her text and then she'll start with something else it's very frustrating because she's a very nice girl but it's very frustrating we've talked about this on the podcast with her so I don't feel like I'm telling her behind her back or anything so the waitress comes over like, well, she was on her phone the whole time. And quite frankly, you know, I came in and she's just like, give me a Chardonnay and where's Steve? And the waitress is like, you know what? I talk in the moment. I talk in the moment like we're having a conversation. Like she sat down and she was telling me, I think she liked me. 
<laughs> I don't know. And she was like telling me, she's like, I like it, but that girl, you know, I don't know what her problem is. Like she clearly didn't like Jessica, which is only funny because Jessica was like, oh, everybody loves me there. <laughs> so I ordered the more food and of course uh, the bill came. We didn't get to eat for free. So I'm not sure who likes her there, but Jessica did pay because we, I think we got a discount. But I'm like, well, you got to pay for it this time. I mean, I feel, I feel horrible. That's not very manly, but you know, she said, otherwise I wouldn't have gone. Speaking of Jewy, now who's Jewy? I am. Oh, then she goes to the waitress. She goes, you're a doll. Like, she's trying to make up. Because I told her the waitress, I didn't want to be mean to her, but I was saying, like, listen, don't talk to the waitress. Let me do the talking because she doesn't, you know, I was talking like that. We don't want any trouble. We don't want anything in our food. Oh, no, no, she loves me. You know, she's not getting it. And so then, um, you know, we left the waitress, gave me a big hug, and, you know, she's just like, don't bring her back here. (laughs) But I think Jessica's used to that. I don't think she cares. She just goes amongst her way. She's got a big article coming out in Vanity Fair uh, about the Comedy Cellar, which is very exciting. She's also uh, working for the Stephen Colbert Show, so she's got a lot going on. She doesn't need nonsense from people. But it's still funny when, you know, we've all been around those people that are just like, oh, my God, everybody loves me there. And then, you know, it's like a sitcom. Like, oh, my God, I hate that girl so much. Why she keep coming in here? But that's probably the way to be. I should be more like that and not care what people think and just go about my business. It'd probably be successful. But I do care. I care so much. I think about it all the time. I'm like, how can they make that person like me? I'm like Charlie Brown. So it's Saturday, you know, um, I went to spin class, thank God, because I knew I wasn't going to leave the house between the football game Saturday and Sunday. It's too much. It's too much. I mean, it's great, but it's horrible. Like, this Sunday, it's just Sunday, thank God, right? So I get Saturday free. But it's supposed to, like, be a blizzard, which is, you know, so, oh, crap, now I can't go. Because I would, probably would have gone maybe driving around or something. Now I I can't. So um, I'm getting depressed because I'm, like, the football's starting. I'm making my bets, and then nothing worked out again. Ugh. And I, start, I got a free Netflix thing from SAG, being in SAG. You know, from this podcast, uh, the Screen Actors Guild. Uh, so I started watching that show, Jessica Jones, Marvel Comics, Jessica Jones. It was quite good. And I was watching it during the football game because I can't watch, the, I can't take the commercials, you know, so I got to keep looking at the score like while I'm watching. But I said, no, I can, yeah, well, I'm not going to go back. And then, you know, I watched the rest of the game. It just took like 50 minutes and, you know, didn't watch. That was the Chiefs-Patriots game first because I was like, I knew I was going to be there all day. I got to do something else. I can't just sit and watch football. I can't do it, especially with all the commercials. It's really frustrating. I watched that Jessica Jones. Pretty good. It's not bad. I'm in like uh, four episodes in. It's all right. It's all right. It's all right. Still, again, you know, me, uh, you know, it's Kristen Ritter and this guy, this black, big black guy, and they have they have crazy sex together, you know? it's. I'm sorry. I As racist as it sounds, I'm still shocked every time. And I know other people that watch it that are younger are just like, yeah, they're having crazy. That's a crazy sex show. But I mean... It's a black and a white bread. It's like it's it's. I'm I'm always gonna be shocked if if any show wants to shock me, you know, do that, because you you just gotta understand. It's the way we're brought up. It's horrible, but that's the good news is that people, you know, if you live in this area, not you know Kentucky, you're gonna be brought up better than that. And in twenty years time, you know, people my age won't be like that. They won't be shocked with a black and white thing. 
So the funny thing is, though, so they're having crazy sex. I mean, like, they're both, like, superheroes, kind of. And he's, you know, she's riding him. And she's like, ah, ah, they break the bed. And she's like, ah, ah. And then he, and then he turns her over and starts doing her from behind. And he's like, yeah, you know, whatever. And then they're in bed, and she's covered up, and I realize she's not showing her boobies. Like, she must have made a deal with the show. Like, I'm not showing my tits. And it's just so weird because, well, we'll do everything else. I'll, you know, pretend having sex, which looks like it's real. I'll turn over my back like he's doing me from behind. I'm doing this illicit, illicit, illicit sexual positions, and it's all live, and it's out there, but I'm not going to show my boobies. Well, screw you. It's just a strange thing. That's what I noticed right away. I'm like, boy, this girl's, uh, you know, wow. Because I always think about that, and I'm always like, you know, I'm an actor. Could I do a scene like that? I don't think so. I don't. Think, first of all, I don't think anybody wants to see me do a scene like that, right? But when I watch shows like, you know, The Sopranos or Game of Thrones and stuff like that, and you see that kind of stuff, I'm like, wait, can I do that? Can I do that in a scene? Am I cool enough to do that? Probably not. But look at her. Well, what is that about? Oh, but I'm not showing my boobs. Well, I'll do the illicit sex scenes, but I'm not... I'm not... Is illicit the right word? I'm not showing my boobs. I mean, that's just weird. And I remember we've talked about it before. Sarah Silverman was in a movie called Someone to Eat Cheese With, with uh, Jeff Garland. And I went to the premiere of that with her, and she's naked in it, taking a shower. And I'm like, what the hell is this? How does this progress the plot? I can't believe you got naked. She's like, that's not me. It's a double. I'm not getting naked for the Jeff Garland project. Because <laughs> now she's naked all the time. So it's funny because there's somebody who completely chose her projects. It's not, I don't know whether Kristen Ritter down the road is going to be like, now that's what I'm going to get naked for. But now Sarah's naked constantly in the movies. <laughs> but it is funny that she just, like, wouldn't like, I'm, she made it. She's so smart. She's smarter than all of us. She's like, yeah, I'm not getting naked for the Jeff Garland project. When I get naked, I'll tell you when it's good to, I'll tell you the director I want to, you know, when Scorsese calls, I get naked. You know, some of those girls, you know, they do that. But then, um, she did it. She said, I'll get naked when I feel it's the time is right. That's pretty cool. So then Sunday, I watched more football, and it was a disaster. I was very depressed, very depressed. Went to bed immediately. Made tacos. Ate too much again. So I went to bed early. Woke up in the middle of the night, and I watched that movie Spotlight with Michael Keaton, uh, Mark Ruffalo, Rachel McAdams, and Leave Shriver. And it was excellent, as everybody says. Very, very good. It's like an all-the-president's-men kind of thing. You know, I enjoy that kind of stuff. It's not great, but it's interesting. It's very entertaining. Keeps your attention. And I enjoyed it very much. However, Rachel McAdams is nominated for Best Supporting Actress, like, everywhere. SAG, Golden Globes, Oscars. Her performance, it's subpar. It doesn't stink. It just doesn't shine a beacon light on what an Oscar nomination is supposed to be so if everybody's complaining about not enough black people at the Oscars well there's your in you shouldn't have elected Rachel McAdams and should have picked somebody in straight out of Compton or something I mean I don't know what's out there I mean the black people you know you can't complain if uh, everybody for some reason I mean there's there's got to be black voters in the in, in who vote for the Oscars no Aren't there some African-Americans that also vote? I, I don't know who was available, but I'm sure there must have been something. 
I don't know why everybody's complaining that they're, like, they're going to boycott. Well, Will Smith and Jada Smith put it together, but they look stupid. They're boycotting because he wasn't nominated. That's why they're boycotting. So if you hop on board for that, then you look stupid. They're boycotting for the wrong. They're saying it's a black thing. And, of course, I would probably say it's a Jewish thing. Of course, you can't say that with Hollywood, but nice try. There's a girl who was in the Fresh Prince with uh, Will Smith who has a like a five-minute video. In fact, I think I wrote it down. Sorry if uh, I'm sniffing, but everybody's got problems today. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Janet Hubert, former star of Fresh Prince of uh, Bel-Air, was just like, listen, Will, you've always been a dick. You didn't help any of us after Fresh Prince. I mean, she's probably angry too but apparently she was like apparently he was a dick on the set of that as well so she's just like screw you you didn't get nominated now you're whining again you jackass that's pretty funny so there's a black girl who's just like grow up and of course Al Sharpton's involved (laughs) which is you know genius they're trying to get Chris Rock to boycott I'll tell you I hope he doesn't I hope he's cooler than that and said you know all he needs to do is come out and make fun of that, and it's going to be awesome. That's what he'll do. You know, he'll just keep making fun of that. There's no black man. That's that's your. That's how you combat it. You make a you know a cutting edge joke about the nonsense, and that's how you'll get him back. It's even it's better than boycotting. You you made a promise. You didn't. There's got to be black voters. How can you boycott? Are there is it is it a restricted voting thing? Does is there no black voters in, in, in for the Oscars? I I don't know. I mean, I mean maybe it is set up. How does Rachel McAdams get nominated? She was not horrible, but she it wasn't an Oscar worthy performance. She has like two lines. She says she takes a couple of notes in the movie, <laughs> and then she's like, "Oh, I feel for you, honey." I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm cutting her short, and I like her normally. I do like her, and I think she's very pretty. But that is not an Oscar-worthy performance. And I wonder if she'd tell you that. I tell you this though: Michael Sheen, his penis apparently has put all these girls into best actor positions. Sarah Silverman, Rachel McAdams. If Kate Beckinsale was also nominated this year, you would have to put a shrine into Michael Sheen's penis because apparently he is. Um, you know, spreading his acting seed amongst the female community. <laughs> oh, I'm good. I'm good. Well, you know, there's something there. I think Sarah and Rachel McAdams... No, I think there's two different categories, but Sarah's nominated and so is Rachel McAdams. It's kind of funny. So Monday, it's Martin Luther King Day. We go uh, for Atel's birthday to Benny Hanna. And it was me, Artie Lang, Russ Maneve, Nick Griffin and uh, my friend Steve Caprican, the manager of the cellar, and a couple of the other girls from the cellar, and uh, the bartender, Machi, and uh, it was really fun. Ten of us, my friend Bob Golden does the music for all of the show. Um, we had a blast, you know, but it was three in the afternoon. Three in the afternoon at Benihana, and it was, it was the worst service I've ever seen, and there wasn't one Japanese person at all. The person that brought us to our seats was Muslim. She had like the the head wrap. I'm like, what are you crazy? The person that got us our drinks, it was her first day there and she was just white. The 
person that bought us our appetizers was Haitian. And the guy that cooked for us was Indian. His name was Hack. His name was Hack. I think that guy hated us. His name was Hack. It was H-A-Q-U-E. And you're talking about a bunch of comics and the guy's name is Hack. Well, that provided hours and hours of entertainment. <laughs> of course, me opening with, hey, where's Mrs. Boyardee? <laughs> but we were laughing really hard. We had a really good time. Food's still excellent there, but service was just... Um, the guy comes out, he's starting to cook. We're like, yeah, we ordered a ton of appetizers. Where's that? And they're like, oh, uh, we got to find out about that. It was really weird. I haven't had that... Uh, I'm guessing it was 3 in the afternoon and just it was just confusing or something. I don't know. It was very, very odd. Maybe they're not expecting people to order appetizers at Benihana's. I don't know. But it was fun. And then after, just the boys went over. We had some dessert and some coffee. Uh, we had another couple laughs. I mean, it was really... We were just having a really good time. And then we went home. And, you know, again, <laughs> I got fooled for the third week in a row. I'm like, oh, I guess I'll go to bed. It was 6.30. This keeps happening to me. Three weeks in a row, I've had dinner, dessert, and coffee, and then come home, and it's only been 6, 37 o'clock. I mean, this is getting... Is this what being older is like? Is this it? Is it? Is it? Is this it? Is it 2016? This is when it's... That's it? Now I'm early bird special guy? I guess so. I'm not saying I don't enjoy it. It's kind of great. But it's a little weird. So then yesterday I did Artie's podcast, and that was really fun. We were on for like three hours. I was on with uh, the great Vinny Brand from uh, guy who owns a stress factory. He's the best. This guy, Ryan Reese, who um, I don't know why he's on that show. He's all right. I mean, very nice guy, but, you know, whatever. And me and Artie. And uh, Sean O'Mara called in. From, Sean O'Hara, did I have it right? I don't know. He's a, He used to be the center for the New York Giants. And he called in. All we were doing for three hours, and you can listen. I think it'll be on YouTube in a couple of days. Um, all we were doing was making fun of uh, Cooper Manning. <laughs> you know, not Eli Manning, not Peyton Manning. Their other brother, Cooper Manning. <laughs> and Artie was like, that guy can't pass anything. He can't even pass the gravy at Thanksgiving. I mean, we're just laughing so hard, just making fun of this guy, ripping this guy apart. But Sean O'Hara told um, a really funny story. that He's like, because we're like, Eli has no personality. I mean, we know he's a nice guy. He's the real deal. But, he, you know, he just, just doesn't seem to have like, a, you know, he's just just makes that hey how you doing um, but he's like guys guys come in the huddle it was like freezing one day he's like guys guys get in the huddle quick get in the huddle quick and I'm like what, what what's what's happening Do we have a huge play and he goes and he just farts and he's like ah <laughs> I mean that's pretty funny that guy won two Super Bowl rings he was really funny his shit was on but that was fun and then Vinny uh, said uh, your niece goes to Rutgers does she want a job my niece might be working at that factory so Artie's gonna be there Super Bowl weekend so I think I'm going to go. He asked me if I wanted to do a spot. He's like, yeah, why don't you come on, do a spot? And I'm like, no, 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 I don't want to do a spot, but I'll come. I'm not ready. Especially for him, I, it's so hard to work. You know, his crowd is, you know, sick. Uh, it's very tough. But, um, God, I wish I did have something ready because I like that club. You know, obviously I like the owner and love Artie. So this week, football-wise, I um, oh, it was horrible. I did a straight bet with the Chiefs. All they had to score was 10 points. 10 points. The Kansas City Chiefs, 12-game win streak. 10 points in the first half. I lost. 10 points. They scored six. 
But then I, uh, you know, I bet a little more. I had the Patriots in the second half. The, uh, they had to score 12 and a half points. That was easy. They were on fire. But I had the reverse of the overs, you know, just so I was going to get the overs, and the Kansas City one came in, but the Green Bay Packers and the Cardinals didn't. <sighs> so frustrating. So frustrating. I'm watching those two games. I'm like, I'm not betting the Cardinals. They stink. I'm just watching. You're like, what, what's the matter? God, oh, really made me angry. But then I, t- I took the Chiefs and the Cardinals, and I pushed on both. Because the Chiefs... Oh, no, I didn't. I didn't. No, I had the Chiefs. I took them up a point. They were plus six and a half. I took them to seven. So that was a push. And then the Cardinals I took, they were seven and a half. I took them down to seven. And they won by six. And they were right there. And then that Green Bay did that stupid Hail Mary again. They got me again. They did that Hail Mary again. Here it is. It's all about five seconds. Well, they did the last time, too, which I thought was pretty smart. They got Rodgers backpedaling. He reset Starks. They are going to bring pressure again. Rodgers is going to roll away, throws it up in the air, says a prayer. And Janice does it. Stop it. Oh, please. What a catch. That's insane. Oh, my. That may be one of the great throws ever made. Moving to his left, falling away, and launching a perfect throw. That's insane. Now, go back. Of course, we have to watch this again. Did he have control? Yeah, well, he had control, and it's unbelievable. Are you kidding me? This guy has two Hail Marys in one season, except he lost. They lost in overtime. Brings him to overtime. and But... They're winning by seven, so I'm at least going to get the push. And then this guy, this jerk-off, another Hail Mary pass. How do you let that happen? And they go into overtime, and then Larry Fitzgerald just turns it on, and they won, but only by six. Unbelievable. I couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it. I'm like, God, God hates me. It's so obvious. I mean, I know we shouldn't be gambling, but... I mean, what a game. I mean, it was very exciting. So then Sunday I took the Panthers just straight, and I was like, oh, God, they're 31-0, it's in the bag, and then what? So then I took them, that the Panthers only had to score seven and a half points in the second half. Seven and a half means a touchdown and a field goal, and I'm like, you know, when you're up 31 to nothing, you figure they're going to have a touchdown, whether it's defensive, right, because the other team is going to be coming back, something's going to happen, and then, you know, then it's going to, seven and a half is easy. They scored nothing. They scored nothing in the second half. Nothing. Maybe a field goal. They almost lost that game. If there were five minutes left on that clock, if it was an hour and five-minute game, they would have lost that game to the Seahawks. That was strange. And then I'm sitting there, and I'm like, you know what? The Cardinals and the Panthers, they're both horrible. The Panthers, I guess what happens all the time with the Panthers is they just come out blasting, and then they just take their foot off the gas. It's surprising after the Giants game what happened that they would do that in the playoffs, but clearly they did. And uh, I don't know. I guess I'm definitely taking the Panthers. Cardinals just couldn't put it together, and the Panthers at least put together a first half. Yeah. So the Cardinals. Then I was like positive. Once I won, won, you know, I was positive on the Cardinals and the Broncos. I I took another, you know, Cardinals blew it again, but the Broncos was a push again. I took it at seven. Another push, all because Pittsburgh had to score a, a late field goal just to be dicks. 
They should have gone for the touchdown, and then I would have won like a bunch more. They scored. They just went for the field goal with like 30 seconds left just to be dicks. So everybody got a push on it. So rude. And the overs just not working. I can't get both overs. They just not. They're not scoring. Seahawks did obviously, but Steelers only 41 and a half. They didn't go over. Isn't that unbelievable? Then I had the Steelers in the second half. I had them but nine and a half. So I for the Steelers. I bet I changed my bet. I'm like I'm not taking the Broncos. The Steelers. The Broncos are playing horrible. All they do is keep dropping passes, dropping passes, which leads me to. I'm taking the Patriots. I want Peyton Manning to win everything. I want him to go out in style. I want him to win the Super Bowl and walk away. Or even do another victory tour. The way I want him to go out like Elway did. There's no way they're beating the Patriots. How many passes did they drop last week? Oh my God, they stink. It's only three points. I'm taking Tom Brady and the Patriots. I'm taking a very healthy quarterback. And I hate him. And I don't want them anywhere near the Super Bowl. But I want to win. And I am not going to sit there and put my money on this horrible Broncos team that can't even catch passes. So uh, that's my plan. And I'm going to take the Panthers. I'm going to go with what I saw last week. And if I have to go by what I saw last week, then the Cardinals stink and the Broncos stink. And I'm taking the two teams, which, and again, I'm nervous about the Panthers. I can't seem to figure it out in the second half. They're only three points. I'm just picking... I'm just going to go for it. So I'm going to pick the Panthers and the and the Patriots in a rematch of whatever Super Bowl they played together where the Patriots won by three points again because the Patriots never blow anybody out in the Super Bowl or ever, apparently, in the playoffs. I don't know what their deal is. That's why everybody thinks Bill Belichick's always cheating. They only always win by about three points. It's weird, right? How can such a solid team always just win by three points all the time? They never blow anybody out. It always comes down to the wire. It's very odd. Okay. Now, Alan Rickman. He was awesome. Now I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. Now, who talks like that? Isn't that great? Now... I have a machine gun. How? 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 How do you even direct that? I mean, that's just a dude doing it his own way. And the best part about Alan Rickman is, like, here he is in Robin Hood. You remember this horrible Robin Hood, but he makes it okay. Kevin Costner, horrible Robin Hood. Lepers and orphans. No more merciful beheadings. And call off Christmas. So guys patrols have found nothing, sire. No camp, nothing. This hooded viper simply slithers into the forest. You, Marum, 10.30 tonight. You, 10.45. Bring a friend. I always remember that scene from that stupid movie. You, my room, 10.30 tonight. You, 10.45, bring a friend. I always remember that because uh, it was really funny and I remember I saw it in the theaters and people were laughing because that he made the movie great because this guy, out of all the people we know, is Alan Rickman. He seemed to get it. I mean, first of all, probably the best movie was, I mean, as Hans Gruber, he was amazing. Die Hard's unbelievable, right? But... um. As an actor, he 
he got it that he was in these campy things. He knew, you know, he's the exact opposite of Robert Reed. <laughs> you know, who was a dick and was so angry. He was in the Brady Bunch. This guy was like, look, I'm in these movies. I'm going to, they're not Shakespeare. They're not serious. You know, we got Die Hard, Galaxy Quest, which is the greatest movie ever, where he did it just the right way. And Harry Potter, he's like, look, I'm doing these things. I'm going to camp them up because I think he's really funny in all of his movies. Even if they're serious, he's funny. You know? Um, that's the thing. I mean, look how funny he is in uh, in Harry Potter. I mean, just the way he talks, you know he's just being like, I'm going to do it this way and it'll be fun. Now, what would three young Gryffindors such as yourselves be doing inside on a day like this? Uh, oh, oh. We... We were just... I want to be careful. People will think you're... up to something. <laughs> I mean, it's so awesome. He just pauses. I mean, who has the nerve to just talk like that? And somebody said in the paper, and it's so interesting, that Alan Rickman, uh, they call him the voice of God, that science found to have nearly, that, that he has nearly the perfect voice. A 2008 study from a group of British scientists claimed to find an equation that measured tone, speed, frequency, words per minute, and intonation that Alan Rickman had almost the perfect... Him and Jer Jeremy Irons, which, of course, you know, I love doing. But uh, how interesting is that, that he had the perfect voice? Now, you might remember, like, he was doing so slow, uh, they made fun of him on Family Guy, um, which was perfect. but it's a really funny concept that he speaks so slow and whatever. And then uh, one of my favorite things that he's in, which is, well, Galaxy Quest really is the best. I mean, I just have a little clip from that. So you managed to get your shirt off. <laughs> um, oh, God, he was so brilliant in that. I mean, so brilliant. Galaxy Quest is such a good movie, and it's not underrated, which is good, too. Um, but... You know, one of my favorite movies is Love Actually because, you know, that's my boy, from, uh, Richard Curtis, who, you know, I love Notting Hill, Love Actually, and Alan Rickman is so good in it. And you remember, you know, this guy's kind of a star, Alan Rickman, you know, but he's just playing a cool... Remember, he lets uh, Rowan Atkinson wrap that gift up for him, and he's so annoyed because he's trying to get it before his wife sees him, and... But he does it so subtly and good, and he lets this guy do his comedy thing because this Rowan Atkinson is kind of a genius. And uh, here's the scene from that. Oh, 
Looking for anything in particular, sir? Yes, um, that necklace there, how much is it? It's 270 pounds. Um, all right, uh, I'll have it. Lovely. Would you like it gift wrapped? Uh, yes, all right. Let me just pop it in the box. There. Look, could we be quite quick? Certainly, sir. Ready in the flashiest of flashes. Now he's like putting all this stuff together in the in there. the bag. It's great. Like Not quite filled. Flowers and stuff, and he's just like, uh, I'm getting this for like a girl at work. Actually, I don't need a bag. I just put it in my pocket. No, this isn't a bag, sir. Really? This is so much more than a bag. I mean, this is a very funny scene if you see it. He's got like rose petals in his drawer and everything that he's putting in. The bird, bird's breath or bird, bread's breath. You know, what is that stuff? Baby's Could breath? Be quite quick. Prontissimo. What's that? It's a cinnamon stick, sir. Actually, I really uh, can't. Oh, you won't regret it, sir. What a bet. It is but the work of a moment. Yeah. Almost finished. Almost finished? What else can that be? You're going to dip it in yogurt, cover it with chocolate buttons? Oh, no, sir. We're going to pop it in the Christmas box. But I don't want a Christmas box. But you said you wanted it gift wrapped. I did, but... This is the final flourish. Can I just pay? It's a it's such a good scene and you know, Mr. Bean, Rowan Atkinson, who Richard Curtis uses all the time and that's how they started together. I love that he put him in this really, really funny scene, just one scene, and it's really good and the two are really good together. And it just shows you how he could do comedy. And that's not, you know, a com- I mean, he's not the comedian, but he does it perfectly. You know, uh, he was really funny. I mean, that's the funny thing. He's like a really good actor, but he was really funny. And even his serious stuff that he was in was funny. He had a, obviously, he had a really good sense of humor. And then, then my, uh, uh, my favorite part, uh, one of my other favorite parts is he, you know, he ends up, so he's buying this girl from his work who's flirting with him this big necklace but he gets his wife uh, a CD but his wife thinks that she that he bought her the necklace and this and then she is distraught and here's that scene rip it what is rip it, it? <laughs> I'm going to it alright I'll rip it God, that's a surprise what is it <laughs> It's a CD. Joni Mitchell, wow. To continue your emotional education. Yes. <laughs> Goodness. That's great. To continue your emotional education. I love that. For First of all, 
there's so many good things about that scene in the sense that you know it's so she thinks that she he's get she's her husband that loves her is getting this great gift and then you know she's devastated she's just got her Joni Mitchell CD I mean it's it's horrifying and then there's a whole scene I mean it's so sad but then he just adds he's like to continue your emotional education and the reason I bring it up is because the family guy and Seth uh, Myers and all those guys and Seth MacFarlane they're all um fascinated by him as much as I am obviously and they've seen all these movies too because they have a scene um which I was trying to get a clip of but I can't because it's, it's only season 13 which was like I don't know last year or something where uh Rupert Stewie's teddy bear uh, gives uh, Stewie uh, a Joni Mitchell CD <laughs> on the card it says to continue your emotional education which is I mean how many people are going to know that reference in Family Guy but that's what makes Family Guy so great and I mean obviously I was laughing so hard <laughs> because who's going to know that oh a Joni Mitchell CD to continue your emotional education it's such a dick thing to say and then later in the movie uh, it's they confront it, and that's a good scene too. And there's so many times where I say this, just you know, by myself. Tell me, if you were in my position, what would you do? What position is that? Imagine your husband bought a gold necklace, and come Christmas, gave it to somebody else. Come. Would you wait around to find good out? Night. If it, no, 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 no. Happy Christmas. Would you wait around to find out if it's just a necklace or if it's sex and a necklace or if, worst of all, it's a necklace and love? Would you stay, knowing life would always be a little bit worse? Or would you cut and run? God. I am so in the room. A classic fool. Yes, be. Fools have made a fool out of me. You've made the life I lead foolish too. I've been a classic fool. I love that line. I say it all the time. <laughs> I don't know why. I think about my life. Oh, I've been a classic fool. You know, especially over matters of the heart. I say that often when coming home from a date. Oh, I've been a classic fool, especially when I pay too much. Oh, I've been a classic fool. But I really go for it, you know. Really loud, obnoxious. More Michael Caney. Oh, I've been a classic fool. I'm Now, I don't know what I'm doing. Let's see if I can do... Uh, oh, I've been a classic fool. That's not very good. I can't get it right. But, uh... Yeah, you know, uh, as I was going through this, and I know you guys, I, I think you appreciate it as much as I do. You know, I was getting some clips from Die Hard and stuff, and Die Hard is a, such a good movie in so many ways, and his character probably... Um, when I first started doing comedy, I used to do him pretty much, and I used to have a bit where I would do... Uh, oh, you know, now... Because he kind of started the classy British villains as... Well, actually, he didn't start it. It was James Mason in North by Northwest. But technically, he brought it back. Um, and I would always say, you know, in these movies, these days, action is always a classy British villain who, quote, Shakespeare, and I used to do this bit, kind of doing him, I guess, even before I knew who Alan Rickman was, and just doing, like, 
now is the winter of your discontent. Uh, you know, something like that. And then I would, uh, the gag was that I would say, like, you know, where what happened to the villains from, like, the Batman TV series that, you know, they didn't quote Shakespeare, they just made stuff up like it was fifth grade. You know, like the Joker would be like, ooh, if it isn't the dynamic dopies. Well, if it isn't Batman and the boy Blunder. Uh, screams, I tell you, screams. Oh, man. Anyway, I was looking at the reviews, and I found another Siskel and Ebert review, and I just find myself, you know, watching it, and this one's a really good one because they both varied on their opinions, and that's what we've been missing from the other ones where they both are, you know, over the moon about it. This is what made the show a success. And you can hear uh, uh, their different opinions. I was only saying because I'm like, I know there's scenes from the movies, and they go a little slow, uh, but I don't know how to go over them. We'll see. Our next movie is named Die Hard, and it stars Bruce Willis as an off-duty policeman who attends an office party in a Los Angeles skyscraper and is overlooked when terrorists occupy the building and round up all of the other people. Hiding out on a floor that's still under construction, he wages a one-man war against the bad guys and maintains radio contact with Reginald Vell Johnson. It's funny hearing the description about it when we know it so well now, you know, but this is 1988, so what is it? It's almost 30 years ago. As a cop down on the ground. I want you to find my wife. Don't ask me how. By then you'll know how. Uh, I want you to tell her something. I want you to tell her that... Um, <laughs> tell her I'm it took gay. me a while to figure out... That's how I'm changing it. Uh, what a jerk I've been. The movie is filled I've with been a classic action, fool. A based on the inability of the L.A. cops to believe that Willis himself... Why didn't he say that? Just tell her, oh, I've been a classic fool. I'm pretty sure that's um, what Richard Curtis probably saw when he hired Alan Rickman. That's what you should have said, Bruce. He's really a cop and not a tricky terrorist. Blow the roof. The car's up there! Blow the roof! Never even think about going up in a tall building again. It's funny, they're playing this whole scene where they blow up the roof and stuff, and I'm like, um, why would they play that? That kind of ruins the movie. Now we know they blow up the roof and I don't know, it's, uh, it's just a strange thing to show as the uh, coming attraction, but it certainly made me want to go see it. And you got just a glimpse there of the guy in the beard, that's Alan Rickman, who plays the villain and who's really the most interesting character in the movie, kind of an intellectual... Uh, a guy with delusions of superiority. Die Hard has a lot of action scenes like the one on the roof. So many of them, you're amazed the skyscraper doesn't turn into the towering inferno. They're dropping explosives down the elevator shaft and whole floors are being blown apart. But you can also see there, I think, one of the big weaknesses of the movie, and that's the idiotic behavior of the Los Angeles Police Department. There was one character in this movie, a deputy chief, whose actions are so stupid and so unmotivated and wrong-headed that finally he just brings the movie to a stop every time he opens his mouth. Bad writing. He always says the wrong thing. He understands nothing. I think he's talking about Paul Gleason, and, you know, that's the guy from Trading Places. Um... 
Clarence speaks, you know, and, uh, you know, Ferris Bueller's, not Ferris Bueller, uh, Breakfast Club, you know, the principal. I mean, yeah, he's right, but we all love Paul Gleason, and we know when he's coming, he's going to be that. So I think Ebert's got it wrong, but you'll see. And with a movie like this, once you start picking out the loopholes, and there are a lot of them, it doesn't matter how good the stunts or the special effects are, or even how good Bruce Willis is. You just can't stay interested. I did stay interested because I saw this as really a mano a mano between Bruce Willis, who I think is very good in the film, and Alan Rickman, who is really quite devilish and quite sinister and threatening. And I also like the fact that it is held in the skyscraper, so there is some claustrophobia involving this terrorist, seeming terrorist attack. There's also a byplay relationship between Willis and his uh, woman, his former wife, and they want to get that going. She's one of the people that's being captured. But basically, I thought of two guys trapped in a tower trying to fight it out, and I bought the film. Well, what about all the cops on the ground? What about this deputy? But they stay away from them. They stay away. They stay away from him. Willis is brought down to the ground. Yes. Which is a miracle, considering that all of the elevator shafts have been dynamited. I followed him all the way through. The cop is standing there saying, "We're going to bill you for all the damage you've caused." There are always grown at things. There are idiotic cops in the Dirty Harry movies too, and you laugh at them. Come on, because Harry's smarter. This is not an idiotic cop. This is idiotic writing to make a cop like this when it would have been better if he just pushed the action forward instead of constantly being wrong-headed. One supporting character, two very interesting lead characters. I like the movie. It's great stuff, right? I mean, it's the reason why we always like Siskel and Ebert. They just yell at each other and they have different opinions. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Roger Ebert's looking at it the wrong way, uh, which... He, they, and that's the beauty about Siskel and Ebert. They're both completely correct. Roger Ebert is looking at it the wrong way. He's like, "This is horrible writing," and all of us that worship Die Hard the way we do now, for the truly amazing movie it is, and that is really all thanks to Alan Rickman uh, being such a wonderful villain. And you know, Bruce Willis is really good too, and he's kick ass. But you know, Alan Rickman makes the movie. He's so cool, and, and you know, he's a great villain. But yeah. I mean, uh, you know, plus uh, the thing with him and Reginald Vell Johnson on the ground, that was kind of great, too. There was a lot of good stuff to it, but it's still an action movie, and I I think he might be forgetting. And then Siskel even reminds him, he's like, uh, they have the same people in Dirty Harry. What's the matter with you? That's what it is. It's an updated Dirty Harry, dummy. Yeah, so they hated each other and they liked each other, but that they respected each other. Uh... So, uh, what we got going on here? Let me see. I wanted to just go right into it, but I wanted to come up with a really good one. Um, sorry, because I wanted to go to the Eagles thing. Let's see. What's this? I mean, I never really cared for the Eagles when I was growing up because their songs were sad and country. I mean, that's every song they had made me cry. You know, I I didn't care for it until, you know, well, not until anything. Like I said, until I saw that documentary, which I thought was cool. So they had their first album release remember they used to be backup for Linda Ronstadt and if you watch this documentary it's quite fascinating that she just kind of let them go and said yeah you guys got to do what you got to do you'd think 
she'd be mad that her backup band was leaving her and going to do their own thing but I think they were friends for for many years after that and uh, so I remember these songs like as a kid and I remember like eh, this is boring but I think I liked more of the later stuff you know more when they changed because that's the thing when they started their third album they were trying to abandon that country stuff and go more into a hard rock direction so you know after you know these kind of songs which is still pretty good though but oops I mean, the opening line of this is really good, which I believe was written uh, by Jackson Brown. Some of these lines. That's great. For that wanna hold me to that wanna scold me once says she's a friend of mine. Everybody knows those f- first lyrics, you know. That's a pretty good one. You know the witchy woman, ugh, boring. But on the second one, they have Desperado, which was really a you know a huge hit. I mean, I don't know whether it's a huge hit, but now it is. But the best version of it, and this is before Joe Walsh joined the band, is actually Joe Walsh doing it on Howard Stern because his voice is so. Interesting. I mean, Don Henley's got an amazing voice. We know this. But Joe Walsh uh, did a version with Sam Kinison playing the guitar on the Howard Stern Show in 1990. And it sounds really... And his voice sounds so struggled and sad and lonely. That's uh, Sam Kinison on the guitar. Can you believe that? What a talent that guy was. Joe Walsh is playing the uh, keyboards at the time. <laughs> he forgets the lyrics. He was drunk as a skunk. Well, this is the kind of song where you need to like struggle like with your voice a little bit. You know, it makes it more powerful. That's a, that's a good one, but it has nothing to do with Glenn Fry, really. I just like it later, you know? Certainly didn't like it back in the day. I mean, every song they made was sad. It just made me, like, miss, like, 
friends and stuff and was like, oh, my life's going to stink. I mean, really, that's how bad it was. It's like, why would I like the Eagles even? But I'm telling you, you see that documentary and you, you kind of just um, you figure it out, you know. I mean, you know every riff. You know what's funny about that song is that um, I thought that one was in... (laughs) You know... (laughs) I probably didn't know who sang these songs. I mean, I knew it was the Eagles, but I didn't understand the Eagles, whatever, because it was a different age. But I certainly knew one of their songs from this. That's how I knew that song. Get to me. I had no idea who it was. But through this Mr. Jaws, this Dickie Goodman CD, that's how I knew all these songs. And sometimes I'm like, I know that song. It's from Mr. Jaws. Like, I probably know the pattern of all of these songs. And sometimes when I hear them, I know what he's going to say. Like, that's how I remember it in these bits and pieces. Hey, Jaws, the captain says he's going to catch you. What do you think of that? Uh-oh, here he comes again. It hit him. Mr. Jaws, why doesn't anything seem to hurt you? He's coming right onto the boat. Mr. Jaws, why are you grabbing my hand? No, wait. Mr. Jaws, that's not the way this record is supposed to end. Help! Help! That's the way they all ended. Energy Crisis 74 ended with, and we go do you remember those at all? I mean, I know a lot of people do, but I know a lot of people don't. Yeah, this guy, Dickie Goodman, did novelty albums. They were huge because it was amazing. They added all those clips. You could never do that album today. You know how much if you made a little 45 record like that today, it would cost $10 million at the rights to all of those songs. Oh, my God. Everybody, the record industry just really messed themselves up for fun. So, uh, yeah, and this, uh, anyway, yeah. This one they have um, this Randy Meisner would do this version, and they have in the documentary. If you see it, it's fascinating. 
he didn't want to do this song anymore because he has to sing this really high note that the crowd loved. It's very clear they like it. I'm going to try and get to it. Let's see. It's kind of he, he has this. It's it's a note that a, a man should not be able to sing, so the crowd loved it. Gonna go crazy. Woo! I think he holds the note. Oh my god. <laughs> that hurts my balls just listening to it. You can hear the crowd appreciates it though. It's always Glenn Fry and Don Henley singing most of it, but for some reason this song was sung by Randy Bunch because he could hit those notes. But then after a while he was like, I don't want to sing anymore. I can't hit those notes anymore. I'm done. I can't do it. And Glenn Fry was like, No, you gotta do it. The audience loves it. They're expecting it. He's like, uh -huh. that's why he left the band. He's like, I can't do it anymore. I can't do it. I can't take it. And Glenn Fry was like a he was kind of a bitch. He was like a mean boss, you know, but um he was the boss. I mean, him and Henley. We're the bosses of the band, and I guess people just, you know, bands are crazy, so. Uh, but that, I always thought that was interesting. Now, you know what the, their greatest hits album, which came after this album, so they had one, two, three, after four, four albums, Lion Eyes, you know, one of these nights, 75, they come out with their greatest hits album. First compilation, greatest, and that's only 71 to 75. They haven't even done Hotel California yet. And they come out with a greatest hits album, and it's the best-selling album of the 20th century. And it's the second-highest certified album by the record. So I have the listing. To this day, the, the album listing for the most albums sold, and of course they have different ways of deciding it, you know, with the certification or is it sales? I mean, for certification, with 30 times platinum, 30 times platinum is Michael Jackson's Thriller, the best-selling album of all time. The second best album to this day, 2016, is 1976, The Eagles' Greatest Hits, 29 times platinum, whatever the hell that means, but you know what a platinum record is. 
The third one is Led Zeppelin 4, side two. <laughs> I'm just doing fast time. But Led Zeppelin 4, 23 times. Look how much it drops from the Eagles' greatest hits, not even one of their albums. It's almost an embarrassment because the other ones, you know, which Thriller and Led Zeppelin 4. Four? And then the Eagles' greatest hits, number two. It's fascinating. The next ones that have sold over 15 million copies, this is kind of fascinating. ACDC, Back in Black. Shania Twain, Come On Over. The fifth, that's the fifth selling greatest album of all time. All right, yeah. How? What? Fleetwood Mac Rumors. See, that at least makes sense. (laughs) Shania Twain, what? Boston, for the first record, Boston. Metallica, Metallica, 1991. I guess that's their first one. I guess. Then the Eagles' Hotel California is next. So they had, and that was their next follow-up album. So think about that. And then Elton John greatest hits. You know, he's got to be in there. And then Alanis Morissette, Jagged Little Pill. Now we know that album was huge. I mean, you knew it was huge, but that huge. I mean, it, it's followed by Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon, which, you know, always had the, uh, if you remember when we were kids or even now, they it was number one on the chart for like, or it stayed on the charts, you know, wherever it was at 500, whatever, for like 20 years. And, they, you know, at one point you'd heard like, you know, the, the record company's doing that on purpose, so it keeps it on. And then the uh, Saturday Night Fever soundtrack, the Bee Gees. Okay, now you ready for the next one? So... This is the 10 minute cover. The next one, after the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack, the Bee Gees, this is going to piss you off. And then it's, it's over. I just put in this, last, this next one because you're not going to believe me when I tell you this. And it's going to be like that David Bowie, Mick Jagger thing because we let it happen. Are you ready? Are you sitting down? Have you had enough to eat? Hootie and the Blowfish. Hootie and the Blowfish. How did we let that happen? Every other one here I can make a case for, including Shania Twain, who we all know, maybe we don't care for her, but we know she was huge. Hootie and the Blowfish? Something's wrong with this this damn list. It's pissing me off. Hootie and the Blowfish. How dare you?
Mr. Jaws, how are you feeling? Ah. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that, Mr. Jaws. How are you feeling again? I see. Um, that's Glenn Fry singing, and that's great. Now, at, you know, the Hotel California, that's not on the Hotel California. That's on the next one. The Hotel California made them. They got Life in the Fast Lane, which is amazing. You know that one. I mean, everybody knows that opening riff. Are you kidding? Wow, that's great stuff. So, you know, it's got, so you got um, that song, uh, Wasted Time, Victim of Love, and Hotel California, of course. I mean, it's a major album. The next one was Long Run with, um, you know, the song, The, the Long Run, uh, which is this one, which is classic. But, I mean, you know all of this stuff, right? You just can't even believe it. Wait, this is the Eagles, too? I mean, that's when you watch that documentary. And then, you know, so... This album apparently, you know, is the follow-up to Hotel California and was not good. Like, it got critically, they didn't like it. Meanwhile, you know, we know every song on this album. I mean, I don't know how they can sell it or how they can say it's like a, it it was critically, it was a major disappointment, but it obviously sold. And they had three hit singles, including this one by, uh, you know, the new member of the band, Timothy B. Schmidt, I remember this. Oh, this used to depress the hell out of me. But it sounds so smooth, you know, but it's so sad and slow. But uh, it was their way of their new member to break out. And they have the recording sessions uh, in this documentary, and you can see them. They're just they're just through with each other, just so through. I always felt bad for Timothy B. Schmidt. He's like, oh, I'm finally, oh, this is awesome. Wait, we're breaking up? hearing this, you know, and I was like, oh, it's a woman singing, obviously. I thought it was the Bee Gees. I just assumed it was on the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack. This was two years later. Oh, it's so depressing. But, you know, when you hear it now, it's just, it sounds so good. It really does sound good, though, you know? So smooth. And it really sounds like they're a band, you know, because they're backing up this new guy and stuff. It's it's a shame that they, you know, you know all just hated each other at this point. <laughs> it's amazing they can put this together like that.
God, I remember, you know, when I just had an AM radio in my car, you know, this was all I could hear, and I'm like, ugh, sucks. <laughs> I mean, you know, you cannot appreciate the smoothest greatness on the old turntables we used to have now with a nice sound system, you know, a nice Bose stereo. This sounds unbelievable, right? But it's mellow, all right. It's not going to keep you up. And, um, you know, in 2007, and then, then they broke up, and they were broke up forever. But in 2007, they came back with a new album with actually one of my favorite songs. And I don't think they wrote this. It's somebody else's. But they all take turns. Oh, my cat's throwing up. Really? In the middle? Ew, that's disgusting. What were you eating? Is this cat could get any grosser. Um, in 2007, they came out with an album called Long Road Out of Eden, which actually I love this song. And they all take turns. And it. it's very country, but I love it. It's good, right? I love that song. I absolutely love it. I like the harmonies in it. I like that, you know, hearing Don Henley and Glenn Fry kind of take turns. You can hear Timothy B. Schmidt in the background there, too. Joe Walsh's guitar. I love it. I really do. I listen to it often, actually. I think I bought the whole album. Uh, actually, I really enjoyed it. Uh, that, that was 2007. And um, that helped to, um, to for me to, you know, kind of like, the, don't eat it. Animals are so crazy. But you know what I forgot to say is that one of my favorite songs, and you know why, um, 
from that last album, which you knew they were obviously having trouble, because this is clearly just, I, I didn't even know this was on an Eagle song. This is clearly just a Joe Walsh song. You know it. And when he played it in concert last year, I was like up and up. I was like, this is what I was waiting for. I didn't even know it was, I thought it was just on Joe Walsh solo. You know, it's from the Warriors. I can actually play this on my guitar. I love it. I love this song. Probably from the movie. And this came out before the album on the movie. I think they just loaded it on. I think they just didn't care anymore at this point. And I love that song. But here's the uh, really totally interesting thing. Now, when we heard... Uh, what do we got here? Wait, let me go back. When we heard... This one, what does it remind you of? Oh, sorry. Right. Oh, I'm pressing the wrong button. Sorry. <laughs> I ruined it. What does it remind you of, everybody? You know what it reminds me of. It's Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And you know what? I, when I was doing the research, um, there are so many. Now, remember, they broke up in 1980 or 79. And in 1980, Fast Times at Ridgemont High come out and, came out. And maybe that's what helped in many ways have the Eagles be so prominent for years later. Because, you know, Fast Times is such an iconic movie. Everybody's in. Everybody from the Eagles has something to do with Fast Times. And I, you know, I know Cameron Crowe probably loved the Eagles, but it's weird the way it is. It's all almost, it's all solo stuff. So, I mean, you almost count him like this. Jackson Brown, we know this one. Uh, look, I can hit that note today, but I'm no Randy Meisner. And you know this one from Joe Walsh. I didn't know it was Joe Walsh. I guess I should have. This one doesn't sound... Wait, let me start it over. Let me start it over here. There, there you go. Now you know it. remember what's happening but you know the music from the movie and then what about this one from Don Henley Every day I mean, it's crazy that one of our favorite movies just has so much, um, you know, uh, eagles in it. 
Uh, here and here is Don Felder. I can't remember what scene that music is from. Maybe it's maybe they cut it out or something. I don't. I don't remember. I mean, sure, somebody's going like it's from that scene from the you know who's listening to this. But uh, you know that's Don Felder, and he was their guitarist until he got really angry and sued the band. Um, this wait, which is this? This is just Billy Squire, but I don't know which one. Oh, of course. Oh, what is? Wait, which? Oh, damn. Oh. I, Of course, I must know it. I can't think of it. I, you know, I mean, I know every scene. I can't think of it. It's so funny. Uh, there's more, though. Um, where else? Uh, oh, you know what it is? Is yeah, yeah. There's five tracks in the film, but not included on the soundtrack. Are moving in stereo by the Cars, American Girl by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. I don't know why these weren't included in the soundtrack we got the beat by the go-go's which is their second song because they have another one led zeppelin's cashmere we know about that one because that's led zeppelin four side two or no that's side one by accident and jingle bell rock by bobby helms but in addition the live band at the prom dance during the end of the film played two songs also not on the soundtrack woolly bully and the one we were just uh, playing before Remember? That's what I knew. I was like, wait, this always reminds me of Fast Times at Ridgemont High. So they had like like five songs in the Fast Times at Ridgemont High soundtrack. So if you, you know, if you break up in 1979 and you're this big band and you're this big selling band, but yet you just break up. And if you want to become immortal, then yeah, do soundtracks for an awesome, awesome movie that's going to last and be awesome forever, and that is Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I don't even think they did this on purpose or anything. I think they did it solo besides this song. But it made, basically made that all the members in the band were included at that time, you know, besides, I guess Joe Walsh wasn't, but... But all the members were included that... Uh, wait, wait, I think he was on this one, right? Joe Walsh did Life in the Fast... I mean, he was... In the group when they did Life in the Fast Lane, right? Yeah, yeah, because this is on Hotel California. So all the members are included besides this song, but um, just like in general, it's just so weird. Don Henley, Don Felder, and uh, I'm missing somebody. Just because I can't think. Who did I say before? Oh, I was counting, uh, you know... Oh, Joe Walsh is in it. What am I talking about? Right, he is in it. Yeah, it's so weird, right? Henley, Walsh, Jackson Brown, I was counting. Don Felder. I mean, what are the odds of you? Hey, Don Felder, we'd like you to sing a song. I mean, it was very clear to Cameron Crowe, who's a big, big music guy, was just like, I'm going to get the Eagles back together, and they're not even going to know it. You know, I mean, that's that's what, that's what I'm going to think. Like, sometimes, you know, someday I'm going to meet him. I'm going to be like, that was brilliant. He must have known. He was a, he's a music guy. He's a rock guy. Uh, you want to hear something funny? Is that for Glenn Fry? You know, you remember the um, Beverly Hills Cop? This was a huge hit for him. 
this wasn't written by him. He just sang it, just kind of the way uh, Cameron Crowe asked everybody to come on board for Fast Times. He did it for Beverly Hills Cop. This was written by the same guy that did Axel F, that Harold Faltermeyer. But it was a huge hit for him. And it's the highest charting solo by any single member of the Eagles. The highest charting. It went to number two, which is weird because none of Don Henley's single stuff, like Boys of Summer, all that kind of stuff, kind of the end of the innocence. That's surprising. But it did not go to number one because it could not beat Ario's Speedwagon, I Can't Fight This Feeling. Now, that is the gayest song of all time, and that is just sad. And I wonder if Glenn Fry goes to his grave saying, I couldn't beat, I can't fight this feeling. Damn it. That's all I wanted to do before I die. Why would God do that to me? It is a cruel, cruel thing. Tell me, can you feel it? Tell me, can you feel it? How? Well, anyway, that's our tribute for today. Uh, you know, I didn't want to make it a huge Bowie tribute, but it's a tribute not enough. I mean, there's more Eagles than Glenn Fry, but at least we're playing Glenn Fry now. And he was kind of awesome in what he did, and he created the band, and they made a lot of good songs that are going to be remembered forever let alone on some iconic movie soundtracks like Beverly Hills Cop or Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And, um, you know, I, you, watch the documentary. I Trust me, I mean, listen, if this guy the, this guy was clearly the guy in charge, right, Glenn Fry, He was the guy, even though him and Don Henley were the thing, he was the driving force that was like, here's what we should do, here's what we should do. What do you think, Don? You know, and Don was just like, yeah, that sounds good. Don was high as a kite. He doesn't know what day it is. Glenn Fry was like, a, you know, a hard go-getter, even as a ball buster. He was like the Paul McCartney of the group. It was like, I really want to do something big. I want to do something. I want to do something big, you know, like this. I want to have a, I want to have a, a Sergeant Pepper album, you know, or something where McCartney would be like, I want to do videos. I want to make movies. And Leonard's like, I guess, whatever, whatever you want, kid. Um, so it's kind of fascinating. Uh, but like, again, if you watch the documentary, the documentary is so amazing because the footage is so pristine. You think it's a joke that they've put on beards and wigs to you know to, to to like spinal tap almost like because the footage is so prime in 1978 77 79 they, they have perfect footage and that's what also makes this documentary great is that Glenn Fry was smart enough to say let's document this and when somebody does that that's very very smart you know back then I mean that's obviously a guy that was very very smart or full of himself or whatever but it's helpful now because this documentary is very, very entertaining. The in-house fighting, this Don Felder troublemaker guy, it's just uh, really interesting. I highly recommend it. The History of the Eagles, I believe it's called. And uh, whether he's full of himself or not or whatever it is, I mean, he still writes pretty good music. Whether you like it or don't like it, you know every riff and every number. So... There he is, Glenn Fry. I'm not sure who I was more sad about, Glenn Fry or Alan Rickman. Who's going to die next week? Uh, I guess I'll just start putting stuff together just in case. Michael Caine, maybe? I don't know. 
no, which which music icon is gonna die? I mean, doesn't it always come in threes? Who's it gonna be? Is it gonna be Mick Jagger? Oh, that's gonna be messed up. I don't know whether I would do a Rolling Stones tribute. I don't like them enough. Like, I don't have a history with them. Like, you know, I'd probably get my college roommate on the phone. He worshipped them. I just never understood them, really. But like I said, the Eagles, who I didn't really care for, after I saw this documentary, then I saw them on tour last year, which was great. They were amazing. Like, they were really great. And Joe Walsh was really funny, and they let Joe Walsh do his thing. So that was very cool, and they clearly just got over it and said, let's just have fun. So that was a really good concert. Again, you go to a concert, you know every song. That's what made that Stevie Wonder concert so horrible. You know, I know three songs. I don't know anything else off that album. You know, you you want a a greatest hits one. I'll tell you, the one I'm going to end with tonight, though, is that one that I really like the best. The, the, The one from 2007. I can't deny it. I... I don't know. I feel like it's it says them. They didn't write it, but they sing it, and it's got a sadness to it and an interestingness to it, and that's Glenn Fry singing now. Anyway, that's the podcast for today. I got to clean up the uh, cat vomit, and uh, that's going to be the name of my new band, by the way. Cat vomit, couple with you. Um, so I hope you enjoyed the show. It's a little uh, strange today. It's a little all over the place, but we had an agenda. Enjoy the championship games, like I said. Patriots Panthers how do you not but I mean I want to win money but I mean if Peyton Manning's not going to win the Super Bowl then I don't want him in the Super Bowl so that's what I'm saying I don't think they could beat the Panthers or even well they could probably beat the Cardinals I don't know I like the Cardinals too whatever the case may be that's the end of the show I hope everybody has a great weekend I hope you can brave the snowstorm that ought to be fun or not depending on where you live But just have a great week, everybody, and I will see you next week on the Dave Juskow Show.